Hello and welcome to another episode of Covenant and Conversation with me, Rabbi Sachs. In each new episode, we'll explore a Jewish idea from the Hebrew Bible based on the Torah reading of the week. Yitro, Mount Sinai and the Birth of Freedom. The revelation at Mount Sinai, the central episode not only of Parshat Yitro but of Judaism as a whole, was unique in the religious history of mankind. Other faiths, Christianity and Islam, have claimed to be religions of revelation, but in both cases the revelation of which they spoke was to an individual, the Son of God, the Prophet of God. Only in Judaism was God's self-disclosure not to an individual or a group like the elders, but to an entire nation, young and old, men and women and children, the righteous and the not yet righteous alike. From the very outset, the people of Israel knew that something unprecedented had happened at Sinai. Moses had no doubt that it was an event without parallel. He says, ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on earth. Ask from one end of the heaven to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? For the great Jewish thinkers of the Middle Ages, its significance was primarily epistemological, that is, it created certainty and removed doubt. The authenticity of a revelation experienced by one person could be questioned, but one witnessed by millions couldn't. God disclosed his presence in public to remove any possible suspicion that the presence felt and the voice heard were not genuine. But if you look at the history of mankind since those days, it's clear there was another significance also, one that has to do not with religious certainty, but with politics. At Sinai, a new kind of nation was born, a new kind of society, one that would be the antithesis of Egypt, in which the few had power and the many were enslaved. It would be, in Abraham Lincoln's words in the Gettysburg Address, a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Indeed, without the covenant at Sinai, Lincoln's words might have been inconceivable for nowhere else do we find anything like the politics of Mount Sinai with its radical vision of a society held together not by power but by the free consent of its citizens to be bound by a moral code and a covenant with God. Standard works on the history of politics of freedom trace it back through Marx, Rousseau and Hobbes to Plato's Republic Aristotle's politics and the Greek city-states of the 5th century BCE. This is a serious error. To be sure, words like democracy, which is Greek for ruled by the people, are Greek in origin. The Greeks were gifted at abstract nouns. However, if we look at the birth of the modern, of figures like Milton Hobbes and Locke in England and the founding fathers of America, the book with which they were in dialogue wasn't Plato or Aristotle, but the Hebrew Bible. Hobbes quotes it 657 times in the Leviathan alone, long before the Greek philosophers, and far more profoundly, at Mount Sinai, the concept of a free society was born. Three things about that moment were to prove crucial. The first is that long before Israel entered the land, 
and acquired their own system of government, they'd entered into an overarching covenant with God. That covenant sent moral limits to the exercise of power. The code we call Torah established for the first time the primacy of right over might. Any king who behaved contrarily to Torah was acting beyond his legitimate authority and could be challenged. This is the single most important fact about biblical politics. Democracy on the Greek model always had one fatal weakness. Alexis de Tocqueville and John Stuart Mill called it the tyranny of the majority. J.L. Talmon called it totalitarian democracy. The rule of the majority contains no guarantee of the rights of minorities. It was, as Lord Acton rightly noticed, this that led to the downfall of Athens. He says there was no law superior to that of the state. The lawgiver was above the law. In Judaism, by contrast, prophets were mandated to challenge the authority of the king if he acted against the terms of the Torah. The classic example is the accusation God tells Elijah to make to King Ahab for seizing Nevot's vineyard. Thus says the Lord, would you murder and take possession? Individuals were empowered to disobey illegal or immoral orders. In fact, the first example were the Hebrew midwives who feared God and didn't do what the Egyptian king had commanded when he told them to kill every male child. Another key moment was when King Saul ordered his servants to kill the priests of Nov who had given shelter to David. But the king's servants wouldn't raise a hand, says the Bible, to strike down the priests of the Lord. So it is the limits of power and the right of civil disobedience. That's number one. The second key element lies in the prologue to the covenant. God tells Moses, this is what you are to say that to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to me. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession for the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Moses was to tell this to the people and they replied, we'll do everything the Lord has said. Until the people had signaled their consent, the revelation could not proceed. The principle here is that there is no legitimate government without the consent of the governed, even if the governor is creator of heaven and earth. I know a few more radical ideas anywhere. The third great idea, equally ahead of its time, was that the partners to the covenant were to be all the people, men, women, and children. This fact is emphasized later on in the Torah in the midst of Hakhel, the covenant renewal ceremony that took place once every seven years. The Torah states specifically that the entire people is to be gathered together for this ceremony, men, women, and children. A thousand years later, when Athens experimented with democracy, only a limited section of society had political rights. Women, children, slaves, and foreigners were excluded. And of course, in many respects, this held true until very recently. In Britain, women didn't get the vote until 1918. In America, women's suffrage was complete only in 1920, although some states had enacted it earlier. 
According to the sages, when God was about to give the Torah at Sinai, he told Moses to consult first with the women and only then with the men. That's the meaning of the verse, Kotomalovet Yaakov Israel. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. The house of Jacob, says the sages, means women. The Torah, Israel's constitution of liberty, includes everyone. It's the first moment by thousands of years that citizenship is conceived as being universal. Perhaps the greatest testimony to the politics of the Hebrew Bible was given by Jean-Jacques Rousseau in an unpublished manuscript discovered after his death. He writes, the Jews provide us with an astonishing spectacle. The laws of Numa, Lysurgus, Solon are dead. The very much older laws of Moses are still alive. Athens, Sparta, Rome have perished and no longer have children left on earth. Zion, destroyed, has not lost its children. What must be the strength of legislation capable of working such wonders, capable of braving conquests, dispersions, revolutions, exiles, capable of surviving the customs, laws, empire of all the nations, and which finally promises them by these trials that it's going to continue to sustain them all, to conquer the vicissitudes of things human and to last as long as the world. Any man whosoever he is must acknowledge this as a unique marvel, the causes of which, divine or human, certainly deserve the study and admiration of the sages in preference to all that Greece and Rome offer of what is admirable in the way of political institutions and human settlements. Thus far, Jean-Jacques Rousseau. With the revelation at Sinai, something unprecedented entered the human horizon, though it would take centuries, millennia, before its full implications were understood. At Sinai, the politics of freedom was born. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening. You can download a written version of my commentary and explore all my additional content by visiting www.rabbisax.org. This year, we also have an accompanying family edition of Covenant and Conversation aimed at connecting children and teenagers with these ideas and thoughts. For a family edition discussion sheet on this week's parasha, please go to www.rabbisax.org slash cc family edition. Thank you.